0: Everything, everything, gonna be alright this morning Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette Here is producer Dawson Izerlowe And your big, bald, beautiful host Raymond Parts III Better known as RP3
1: For the first time since 2014. That'd also be the last time the Louisiana Raging Cajuns were ranked in the top three. If you do remember. Louisiana takes down the number one ranked team in the country. As they go into Baton Rouge inside Alex Box Stadium. And hold on to win as the Cajuns get the midweek win over the number one ranked LSU Tigers. First midweek loss of the season for LSU. And not only was it the first time that the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns defeated a number one ranked team. Last time that occurred was February of 2014 when they also beat LSU at Alex Box Stadium. Surprisingly, it was the first time they faced off against the number one team since the 2015 Super Regionals. But Matt Deggs' team, who had a rough week last week or so, had a bit of a lull in the season, had a week they'd like to get back, well, they got back on track in a huge way with last night's victory. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, beautiful, and well-rested host, Raymond the Third, better known as RP3. <laughs> I'm joined inside the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Izerlowe, a.k.a. d That
2: I don't know if you're telling the truth. I get you're probably not, but that would make one of us if you were telling the truth.
1: Uh, bud, you knew I was covering the game out of town, the late night game out of town. That meant you had to be the one that well, was going to be
2: well rested, and I tried. I really did try. And as you, you saw, even texted, yeah, there's document. I tried, and I just you know sometimes you don't sleep as well as you'd like to, and it's really nothing. I was there making an effort to sleep, and sometimes it just doesn't go your way. You just got so excited watching. I mean, it's a t- yeah, well, it's, I, it's tough to late. You know that game. I mean, I I can't even fault them. They started at six thirty. It's not like they started at eight o'clock, but this is correct. Get the heart rate up late in the game. You know what I mean. I mean. Look, uh, I don't know. I don't know if the audience knows this about me too much. I don't, you know. I I, I think I'm very fair and impartial um, when I talk about teams that we cover. But I went to UL and I enjoy beating LSU, so that, that was something I enjoyed.
1: The win means a lot for Matt Diggs's team. It doesn't mean as much to LSU, obviously, because it's a midweek game, and they're the number one ranked team in the country, and they've played five straight conference series against top 12 ranked opponents. So in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean as much to LSU. I do wonder how this game maybe would have gone if LSU decided to leave Coleman in. Because by the way, he was pitching for the first time, I do believe in what, 15 months, 16 months, something like that. Coming off Tommy John surgery, uh, he looked absolutely filthy. By the way, in his one sensational inning, where he struck out two batters and had a one-two-three inning,
2: and then they were like, "Oh, that's enough, thanks." <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you, and, you, and they didn't want to, you know, they, that was obviously probably very much planned, and I think Correct. he was never going to throw more than twenty pitches or so. So, I, I'll say real quickly, like one of my biggest comments about LSU. I know, and like it's always this fun thing with fan bases where midweek games, whether they matter, whether they don't matter, some people want to just you know. It always it always seems like it. the some fan base care. for
1: the Tigers is immensely torn on this issue. Yeah,
2: exactly. But the the concerning thing that happened last night is like. They didn't throw a bunch of freshman guys who haven't pitched and those guys got, you know, roughed up and you go okay like they threw guys that they're going to like they threw Riley Cooper like they threw Thatcher Hurd they threw guys that they're going to be counting on they threw Blake Money and they all yeah, struggled. Yeah and, and those yeah nobody was really particularly sharp other than Javen Coleman. So that would be if you if you were going to be concerned you're hoping this was kind of a way to get some of those guys back in the, you know, Back in the rhythm of things, and in this next SEC season, Jay series Johnson and
1: gave them every chance for all those guys to get their act together.
2: I mean, if you remember,
1: Blake Money was a sensation before the halfway point of last season, and then everything came off the rails. Uh, it, he throws his second pitch of the game, and it's tattooed over the wall. Like, That's a problem for LSU. We keep talking about that. The lineup is filthy, right? It is. And they can hurt you in so many different ways. But right here on the old media guide that they handed out, the powerhouse, Paul Skeens is on the cover right here. If you're watching this on the simulcast on Stadium Network. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are we dealing with right there? Where'd you, where'd you get that? Oh, bud, they just give these. Uh, when you come in through the media entrance, there's a little like concession area, but it's just for media guides and schedules. Well, and see, they're, they're I was, there for you for free. Well,
2: see, I, I didn't know that. That's unfortunate because obviously I just covered the game last weekend. Did I'll get not, you another Did not one, see buddy. the media guide. I'll get you another one. But Paul's on the cover, and rightfully so, right? They don't
1: have another guy that's even close to him. They don't have another guy that's even close to him. And when you don't have another ace on the staff, you then have to depend on what? Your bullpen. Because you're going to be pitching guys that can maybe only go four or five innings max. And then you bring in your arms out of the pen. And LSU has veteran arms to get the job done. But Thatcher, Blake, and Cooper did not get the job done. Because the Raging Cajuns just kept teeing off. They came in with aggression. They came in, played some of their best baseball. And credit the bottom of the lineup in this game, Dawson. Because Carson, Rockford is still struggling a little bit. Max is still struggling a little bit. Julian Brock had to come in as a pinch hitter and then became a DH. He didn't start the game because he's been dealing with illness. But the bottom of the lineup, man, they came up big. CJ Willis had a big night. Will Vayon had a big night. Connor Higgs had a big night. The
2: bottom of the Cajuns lineup kind of set the tone. Yeah, I need some more, I need some more Connor Higgs at Bats uh in the near future, oh, for geez. sure. Um I think Marshak's coming around. I, I'm starting to see it in the swing too. Like, and I like to look at mechanics of things too. I didn't feel like he looked right at all in the purse in the first you know month or two, and not only obviously the results yielded that as well, but like I just didn't think he looked right. I'm starting to see it with his swing, and I thought he hit a couple of balls hard last night. One of them went for a double, but um, I'm starting to see it with Marshak, Veon isn't quite there, but he's getting there slowly. But I, I would I would really have a hard time keeping Connor Higgs out of the lineup in the near future. I agree. And so, you know, last night they had them both in there, Veon and Higgs. I wonder if that's going to come a point where you have to choose one or the other. And I I would guess maybe right now Coach Deggs likes Well, Veyon's you rotated
1: out but... because you took your typical first baseman and gave him the night off. Right. right? So then you just rotated guys around. I, I think they have enough talented guys that you can get them into the lineup. It, you... If they can just get Carson, because at first glance, when you look at the numbers, you're like, oh, he's having a good That's season. That's what I was going to say. It just doesn't look the same, though. But it doesn't look the same, right? And it's not; it's nowhere near where he was last year. Uh, you know, we thought going into the season that Carson Rockefort could be the Sunbelt Player of the Year. I would make the argument, but the guy that gives them the best chance to taking home that accolade is Heath Hood. I mean, he's he's been a monster for them, and he was a monster last night. His home run didn't even land in the stands. At at Alex Box, as you know, Dawson, they have the left field landing. He said, no, I'm good. I'm just going to hit it over that, which you rarely see happen. But as good as the lineup was, and they went and they attacked and were aggressive, look, they were aggressive with their at-bats, and once they got on the base pass, they were aggressive too. They put pressure on the LSU pitching staff. Now, they left some runners out there, and they had a few base-running blunders where you're like, oh, man, is that going to cost you against this lineup? And you started thinking that in the top of the ninth when Trey Morgan said, opposite field home run, no problem. Thank you, bye. Right, and you're like, oh, there's two runs, there,
2: there, here, here they come. Yeah, no, he oh, he pulled it. It, it. I mean, and it was, and I don't mean to correct you there on the semantics of it, but like I just vividly remember how far that ball was hit in the right field bleachers. It was unbelievable. Um, but the good news is Cooper Rawls, like, I, he's just, he's just a gamer. I mean, like Cooper Rawls comes in, and of course, he's been pretty dominant all year. He gives up a, a, an absolute mammoth blast to the first battery faces, and then he's just not face, and he just starts whipping off sliders. To, by the way, the best hitter in the by, country who by, came up after him. By the way, he
1: gets Cruz to strike out, right? Attacks him. Then he walks. So you're like, oh, he gets the out, but then he walks the next guy. And you're like, oh, no. But what does he do? He strikes out the last two batters he faces. So he gets three Ks after giving up the two-run blast. That's the mentality that you want to have. He has a mistake, but he still remains aggressive. I mean, the way he pitched Cruz, the way he pitched Poloso, and, and Jones, and, just, it just went right and, at him.
2: And oh, by the way, this is college baseball. It's what I love about it. He's going to start Friday night, most likely, after coming into close on Tuesday night. We'll see. Did did, did anything post-game uh, change that vibe from Coach Tags?
1: No. And... What about David Christie? Like, here's a guy that had a bad week. He had never pitched more than five innings in a game. He pitched six last night for the Cajuns. First of all, take away that you're doing that against the number one ranked team in the country with the best lineup in the country. Just to get back on track and also... Deggs went to him and says, Hey, man, you're my guy. After the week he had last week, he goes to Christie and says, Yeah, man, you got this. To have your skipper have that type of confidence in you after you had such a poor week and to do so against the number one ranked team in the country with that lineup and you get a career high six innings pitched. Like, Really? And the LSU batters were just like, what? And he didn't and he didn't overpower them either. It wasn't striking out. out yep. He had one strikeout, and that was late. He he didn't overpower them. He just worked them. Worked them. And it was also a strange night. And Heath talked about this afterwards. Cause I think Kevin asked him, Hey, was it hard to see the ball out there? And he goes, yeah. Because you had that weird sequence where Trey is in left field. Dylan is in center. And they both lose a ball in the lights, in the sky. It was so weird because Trey was, what, 10 or 12 yards away from where the ball landed? Like, all of a sudden, he looked up, and he's like, oh, yeah. It was in front of him. And then Dylan did the same thing. And he, you saw him. He's kind of cowering. He's like, where's the ball? Like He had no idea.
2: I specifically thought Dylan Cruz was doing it on purpose, doing the old kind of where is it, trying to catch the runner off second, maybe leaking towards third. Since the previous outfielder had just lost the ball in the lights, I thought Dylan Cruz, player of the year, is making a you know 1,000 IQ play here. And then he actually, you know, the ball dropped 20 feet in front of him. It was strange. And Heath talked about it afterwards. He said at that time they were lucky that
1: they were able to get out of the outfield when they did because the sky was kind of blue And he says, you lose it for a little bit at that time of the night. You could just tell when they were out there. You'd lose the ball just for a split second. And then you would have to find it. Well, unfortunately for LSU, and I was like, oh. But once again, the Cajuns were aggressive. And if they can play like this, as Matt Diggs said afterwards, all their goals are still on the table. Because if they can play like they did against LSU, against Coastal Carolina, and Southern Miss, they can win those series. And now we're having a different conversation about their RPI, and we're having a different conversation if they can win the regular season championship and if they're going to be an NCAA regional team. Got to take a timeout. Of course, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game.
0: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU sports update presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Cajuns take down the number one ranked Tigers last night at Alex Box Stadium. We'd love to hear from you. Game hotline is open 337-706-0111. Let's head out there right now. Jason's been patiently waiting. Jason, good morning to you, brother. How, how's it going?
3: Raymond? how are you doing this morning, man? I'm doing great, bud. It's hey, been a while, Bernsey. Uh, say again? It's been a while, bud. Yeah, it has. And I've been enjoying the, the deep dive into UL's big win last night. Did you guys get into it I, I, I enjoy that. Hey, before I ask you what I want to ask you, have you ever gone to the, the prison rodeo? I was listening to commercials while I was on hold. Uh, yes. Have you ever gone to? It's, it's, it's hilarious, man. Yeah, I've been it's twice. Hilarious.
1: I've been twice. It is. It is a interesting experience.
3: I mean, the humor is, and I don't, you don't have to be that st- sadistic to enjoy what goes on in that bull ring. But, um, is, I mean, when they play, is it? do they call it inmate ping pong, where they put the hula hoops out? Like a hundred of them, and inmates jump in each hula hoop, and they let the bulls out?
1: Yeah, I think that's what you it's called. That what, what's that one called? Well, I'm not, I, I don't. I don't know right off the top of my head, brother, but yeah, they do still do that. They did it last year, at least.
3: All right, in uh, the arts and crafts, and that's it's it's a cool thing. I'm not even a paid. Uh, uh, I'm not even being paid to, to talk about that rodeo, but it's really cool. That's true testimony. But anyway, old business. You guys were talking about Zion Williams uh, yesterday morning, and how he's not mentally there. I, I, it just made me think. What are the Jordans and the Barclays? What do you think when they? What do you think they think when they hear that? Because I can't imagine them ever saying something like that while they were in their you know, prime of their career.
1: I'll answer that, brother. Appreciate the phone call, bud. Be safe out there on the roads today.
3: All right, dude. Thank you.
1: What do the old heads think when they hear Zion Williamson say? I'm not, you know, it's a mental thing.
2: Well, I didn't. I I want to let you give your answer, but I did want to jump in. And the good thing about him asking about Charles Barkley is you can probably find out what he thinks by just watching TNT for the playoff broadcast because he pretty much tells you what he thinks every day.
1: I'll let you go first, sir.
2: Er. I didn't mean to, but I do that often, so I will. Um,
1: yes, you interject. Yeah, so don't I, interrupt, interject. That's a nice way. Quite, to say it. On,
2: quite honestly, I think a lot of those old school guys would think it's ridiculous. Like I do, I do think that, and I think Charles probably, you know, I don't know if he's has a has had a quote. I missed his comments uh, that came after that news came out, and I don't know if they directly addressed it on the playoff broadcast or not. But I'm sure they either have or will at some point. I think they'd probably think that that's you know. Crazy, especially Jordan, like that's a guy, and, and Kobe, I think would probably be the same way, and yeah, you never want to speak for people who can you know who aren't here to speak for themselves anymore, but like I, I, th- I would have a hard time thinking that Kobe Bryant would would even like understand that mentality, you know what I mean, because he was wired such a certain way as a competitor and like a I mean the guy played through you know insane injuries throughout his career um, a lot of
1: the old school guys, what you go back to Bill Russell. You go back; it's even further back as that. Oscar Robertson, you know, Jordan, Bird, Magic, those guys. Kobe later. They just don't understand it, and we, we've talked about it before. I think Zion is an immensely gifted athlete. Do I think he has the killer instinct inside of him? And I don't think he does and that's what makes you the difference between talented and a great one is having, you know, the 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 the, the cool thing to say this uh, these days is he's got that dog in him, right? Well, before that it was he he's a killer. It doesn't matter how you describe it. The elite ones. It doesn't matter if it's basketball, football, baseball, it doesn't matter Everyone is talented. If you get to professional sports and you're playing in a professional sports league, everyone on the field or court is talented, has God-given ability, and is naturally talented. Plain and simple. The difference between the guys who stay in a league for a cup of coffee or become journeymen is their mentality is their mindset, is what do they do off the court? So much of your success on the court has to deal with your mindset off of it, Dawson. Jordan, tired of losing to the Pistons and saying, you know what, I'm changing my regimen. I'm going to change how I work out in the offseason because I'm going to get bigger, stronger, tougher to go up against those guys in an era where you could elbow a guy in the face and get away with it. Tom Brady, conditioning himself in a certain way where he can play until he's 40 and win a Super Bowl. Drew Brees, constantly working out with Marines or doing other things in the offseason to give himself an edge after he even won a title. That's the difference. Guys that are willing to push themselves because they strive for greatness, because they want to be the greatest of all time. I don't believe Zion wants to be the greatest of all time. And, I'm not and and, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing because not everyone's built that way. Some guys are just in the league and they're good players and they're stars and that's okay. But if you're going to carry a franchise, you got to have that dog inside of you. You do. And if we're in year 4 and we're still talking about him not conditioning the right way, that means he
2: doesn't have the dog inside of him. I'm not being mean I'm just being honest yeah I'm not I'm not ready to completely like make declarations of where his his headspace is gonna be forever I think another thing to remember is like it's Zion is part of this very difficult group that you can put LeBron in and you can put not really all that many other guys in in which they've been in the spotlight and on a pedestal since they were 15 14 years old like I'm not even talking once they got to college and they put up big numbers, or once they got to the league, they put up big numbers. Like, he's been a guy since he was, like, a sophomore in high school that's had these crazy videos on YouTube that everyone knew about him. I mean, everybody was tracking where he was going to college from the time he was, you know, 14, 15. He was getting offers from colleges way back then. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I think, you know, when he speaks to some of the mental stuff he's going through, like, he's in a very unique position. Like, not a lot of guys go through that. And LeBron James, I think, was, like, a one-in-a-billion person that was built to be in those situations. Like, LeBron somehow went through everything. He was, you know, cover of Sports Illustrated when he's, you know, a teenager and all these different things. And I think he was kind of built for it. And I'm not saying Zion's not, but I think, like, we can't expect everyone to handle it the way LeBron did. Like, And I think LeBron was was wired and, and, and it worked for a certain way. So,
1: But that's why the
2: older
1: players and the older generation has such an issue because... I watched recently the Bill Russell two-part documentary and the things that he put up with racially, the things that his family had to put up with, the things that he had to put up with every single night when he went to another town, I understand it's a different era and it's a different time in our country's history, but one could argue that's far more stressful and far more overwhelming to deal with than, well, you're the expectations of being the face of the franchise.
4: Like, yeah, that's so, fair.
1: so, so, but it older generation is not going to be as sympathetic because they're like, your struggle isn't nearly what others were before you. And yes, you have to deal with the stress of being the guy since you were 13, 14, 15 years old. And that's a different level of stress. But in the grand scheme of things, that shouldn't be crippling. It's hard for them to right. relate, right? because it's a different type of stress so that's where I think you see the big divide is the older guys are like really like like really like you, that it, it's hard for them to relate it, it just is it's just even a guy like Shaq who well, I love the diesel and early in his career there probably wasn't a more dominant player ever in the NBA but the big fella liked to eat, right? I mean, he had some conditioning issues towards the back end of his career, right? We can be honest. But even Shaq, you know, who didn't put in the work with free throws and sometimes didn't take the best part, you know, didn't take... But Shaq still dominated, right? So I, I think... It's just hard. Like, you're right. If Kobe was still alive, Kobe would have no idea how to relate. Like, Kobe couldn't relate to Dwight Howard. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Like... Like what, what do you mean? What what, what what do you mean after practice you're not going to stick around here and work on your game for another two hours like I do? It's just – that's what it
2: takes, though. I guess yeah, that's no, my and, bigger point. And, and I agree with that. I, I just think – and maybe he's not wired that way to be, you know, that just – like what it takes to be that next level. We talk about like a lot of times and people, you know, I think it's a funny conversation we get into sometimes when the greatest of all time – aren't very likable. Like like Tiger Woods wasn't, uh, you know, I don't think Likeable. Tiger was particularly likable during the prime of his career. wasn't
1: likable. Larry Bird was not likable. Right. You look at the greatest, most of the time, nine times out of ten, the guys that are in the GOAT conversation were,
2: were not well liked Kobe for... Uh, and uh, and uh, that's, uh, and I think sometimes... that's kind of what it takes. That's, right, right. Like, those guys are built differently. And so I don't, I don't know if Zion's there, and I don't know if that's necessarily something you can get to, but I do think he does care about being one of the one of the greatest, and I do think he wants to be. Now, obviously, he has to be able to separate. And I think during the season and in his preseason regiment, I think he works like the guy who wants to be the best. I think the next step is him taking it like that full time, three hundred sixty-five days a year, and that's that's tough. Like that's a different level. But again, that's the level that those guys are at. So we'll see if he's able to take that next step and. In his maturity, again, I think we we start to hear some, you know, Ali talk about maturity and things like that, and that's that's something that matters. Moving when forward. when you have big Zion
1: guys talking about his maturity, then you go, uh, well, once again, the next season is a make and break year for the Pels and for Zion. It's going to be year five. Wasn't expecting Zion Williamson talk, but Jason said, "Hey, I heard it last yesterday. Couldn't call in." I want to talk about it today. Well, guess what? That's okay. That's what we're here for. Love to hear from you. Want to keep those phone calls coming? Game Hotline's open, 337 706 Woo! More RP3 and company coming up right here on
0: the game.
1: Speaking of the NBA, playoffs, of course, were in full effect last night. As expected, Phoenix evens up their series with the Clippers. Durant and Booker combined for 63 points as they beat the Clippers 123-109. to Kawhi Leonard had 31 points in the losing effort. For the Clips,
2: this series feels like it's going
1: to go six or seven games to me.
2: Uh, it, it was By the way, it was not easy last night, and no. Phoenix found themselves down nine right before the half, and they went on a little quick run. That was really big, I thought. They cut it actually all the way down to, what was it, um... They ended up tying it up. They tied it up, yeah. Yeah, no, and they were down nine, I think, with like uh, maybe like two minutes left in that half. They went on a really nice run. They hit a three right at the end there, and they ended up tying it. And that was huge, but this looked for, um, for a few minutes really like this could be Clippers 2-0, Phoenix in a world of trouble. And then they kind of pulled things together, and Devin Booker did Devin Booker things, and Chris Paul was good enough. Durant, they're still... The other thing, too, and I guess it's 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 kind of scary. It's kind of like I don't know if they're ever going to be. I heard an interesting comparison um, on a podcast yesterday about Sacramento and kind of the longevity of their core where like it's like they're super young and everybody says they're super young. Yeah, but they've been together the whole time. Like three or four years. So, yeah. like, is that – would you rather that or Phoenix where it's like, yeah, there's way more talent, but they haven't played together. And I think Phoenix isn't maybe the best example because it's really just Durant being plugged in. But, like, let's say some of these experiments where you've, you know, thrown all these, like Brooklyn a couple years ago, where you threw Durant, Harden, Kyrie, they didn't play together, and they said go in in the playoffs. Would you rather that where, like, the talent's abundant, but, like, Sacramento's played together? And so, anyway, my point there is... Chris Paul is the X factor for Phoenix because he knows how to get guys involved. Even
1: though when you do watch Durant play with his teammates in Phoenix, it does look a little disjointed. To your point. And
2: so that was that my point there is that the farther they're able to go and each round that they move on, and I mean I I I think they're gonna win this round. I think they're gonna keep progressing. The more dangerous they're gonna be. Yeah. Like it's it's not a situation where you go, well, they won the first round, but they it took them seven games. Like, yeah, it might take them seven games, but if they get through it, they're gonna be better the next round and they're gonna be continuing to get better. Now, do they have time to develop three years worth of chemistry the way a team like Sacramento has? And again, I don't necessarily think Sacramento is 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 going to run away with that series against Golden State even with the 2-0 lead. But it's always like this Phoenix Suns roster the way they're currently constructed is never going to be perfectly, you know, synonymous with each other. That's not a great word to use there. My apologies. Uh but they're going to get better as they go along and I think that's that's kind of scary for for teams that progress further in the playoffs and see this team pass the first round. But with that being said, Clippers have a decent chance to win this series still they really do
1: they do I think this is going to go at least six if not seven I also believe Knicks Cavaliers is probably going to go seven games that may be those are the two series for the first round that are the most even that feel like coin flip series Cavs bounce back in a big way with a 107 to 90 victory over the Knicks last night. Garland God, look gave him 32 points for the Cavs. Brunson had an off night 26 and 4 by his standards, or the way he's been playing, rather. This is going to be a dogfight series, and I, I think it's going to be wildly entertaining. Celtics Hawks, that series is over. Thanks for playing. And uh, you can always count on Boston fans, right? Because they decided, hey, let's start Trey Young overrated chance during the game. Because why not? Because they're Boston. Boston fans are a whole different breed. They just are. They're very special. <laughs> but but honestly, the Hawks really don't have a chance against Boston. They don't. 119-106 to win for the Celtics over the Hawks last night. They're now up two games to none in that series. Maybe Atlanta can sneak a game back in Atlanta, but yeah, I I don't know. I, I I just I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen. Now, also, what's interesting is that Dawson's favorite player in the NBA, Draymond Green was ejected in last the last game against Sacramento for stomping on Sabonis and then, you know, bouncing off of him a little bit. He's now been suspended for the next game. How much does that change game three?
2: It does, because also Golden State's not very deep. Like, we've talked about that. And they've, they're not very
1: physical without Draymond, either.
2: They weren't particularly deep last year, and they made it work because their starting guys were so good. Um, and, they ha- again, we talked about, too, they had a couple of more guys. So they had Otto Porter. They had a couple of guys that made an impact off the bench. And Wiggins played extremely well last year. Like, you're in, you're in so trouble here. Because uh, now— do I think you can have a vintage Steph game here in game 3 where he kind of takes over and, you know, they pull out a big home win? Yeah, but they're going to need it. And so it's it's like, oh man, it's 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 an interesting situation, you know. Um I don't I don't know cuz obviously if he goes to 3-0, I think the series is over. Like I just don't think you're going to beat that team four straight times, especially when two of them would be in Sacramento. So I think that's important, but you gotta try and find a way to win one without him and then maybe see if you can get him back in the mix. It's it's uh it's a big suspension and like it's just it's puzzling why Draymond does the things that he does. And like I, I understand the reaction if he thought it was a dirty play in the moment, especially. Um and maybe he still feels that way, but like there's just other ways to react. Like you just but, can't do it like
1: that. But you can't expect him to react any other way because that's how he always reacts. Right. Right. So this is who he is. He's not gonna change. He's Draymond Green. He's not going to change. Tonight's slate of NBA action, Lakers-Grizzlies. Is Ja going to go? Do we know yet? I I don't think he's going to go. Lakers are going to look to go two, up two zero 0 win the first two games in Memphis, by the way.
2: He's listed as doubtful, but um, I'll have to get a different injury. The ESPN injury report has Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Dennis Schroeder also all listed as doubtful, and they're going to play. So. Yeah. Heat, Bucks, Giannis, we expect to
1: play with the contusion. That feels like a huge game tonight. And then Timberwolves, Nuggets, will Minnesota show any life, any fight whatsoever against Denver? That's your slate of NBA playoff action tonight. Woo. Good stuff. Good stuff. NBA playoffs, college baseball. Major League Baseball, of course. Dawson, are you going to be giving us some sort of USFL report? Is that is
2: that planned for today? Uh, oh, uh, I don't know about today. Um, I, I I I watched those games on tape delay, so I got to catch up on some film before I give you my report.
1: USFL XFL, break it all down for us. Like, only you
2: can, my friend. Let's have the USFL champion and the XFL champion meet. Have we not? We haven't organized that yet between the two leagues. Let's get that going. It feels like we should Let's do Let's call this. it the Super Bowl, the mini, the, you know, the Super Bowl spring, light or something. The Spring Bowl. The Spring Extravaganza. The Spring Extravaganza. We got to
1: take a timeout. <laughs> we'll unveil our poll question of the day, which is our foodie poll question of the week. That's next right here on the game.
0: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: The Louisiana Raging Cajuns take down the number one ranked LSU Tigers 8 5 at Alex Box Stadium last night. Big win for Matt Deggs' team. And we'll talk more about that. Coming up next hour, we also touched on the NBA playoffs, the action from last night. And then we also touched on uh, some Zion Williamson. But it is Wednesday. And you know what that means here on RP3 and Company? It's our foodie poll question of the week. That's what we do on Wednesday. And it's a good one. Do you eat breakfast for dinner? I thought this was a universal thing. And then I had a conversation with someone. They're like, oh, no, I don't like doing breakfast for dinner. And I looked at them and I went, what? What? Who raised you? How were you raised? Who hurt you with breakfast? Do you eat breakfast for dinner? Yes, it's one of my favorites. No, breakfast equals morning. Maybe not a huge fan. Right now, 50% of you say yes, it's one of my favorites. 33% say maybe not a huge fan of breakfast. Who's not a huge fan of
2: breakfast? 17% say no, breakfast equals morning. Let's get to some of your comments. That third choice, by the way, I I kind of wrote to mean not a huge fan of breakfast for dinner. Not necessarily not a huge fan of breakfast, just as a, as a caveat. There we go. Ralph says,
1: personally, only once a year for the Qantas Pancake Supper. That is a good event, by the way. But last time I checked, the food has no idea what time it is. I'm much more apt to eat dinner food for breakfast. That's what I love about Whataburger and Sonic, full menu all day. Shout out to Ralph.
2: Yeah, I'm glad he said that because I get get told that sometimes. I have, you know, someone in my life who loves breakfast for dinner but thinks it's ridiculous to eat dinner foods for breakfast. And, like, the the comments that you'll get, like, whoa, it's too early to eat a burger. What? What is it? What do you mean? Is your body more prepared to consume ground beef at a later date? Like, I don't understand. It's <laughs> no, it's sometimes not. I wake up and like if I have leftovers from a night before from a great dinner, it's gonna be the first thing I eat. Like, I, I like your style. Ton on the Twitter
1: says once or twice a month can't beat biscuits and gravy with bacon and a toad in the hole. What's a toad in the hole? What is toad in the hole? John Paul says there's so much good food to eat for the other meal I would not use breakfast food at dinner time. John Paul says he doesn't like breakfast for dinner.
2: You know, I've been in I've been in the Acadian area for like, you know, I spent my entire college time here. Now I'm back and I still like once a month. He says once a month he eats breakfast for dinner. Once a month I hear some Cajun stuff that I've just never heard of. Toad in a hole is something I I'm not sure I'm ready for the answer. I'm not sure I want to know. <laughs> But you spend enough time in this area, and you'll just keep hearing things you've never heard of every once in a while. But I like that, because that's what keeps things fresh.
1: There it is. That's our foodie poll question of the week. Do you eat breakfast for dinner? 50% of you say yes, one of my favorites. 33% say maybe not a huge fan of breakfast for dinner. And 17% of you say no, breakfast equals morning. Already got some good comments early on. Keep those comments coming. Keep those votes coming. And we'll share them throughout today's show. Oh, man. Hour number one in the books. What do we got on tap for hour number two? How about a full, wide-open hour? We're going to dissect Cajuns, Tigers. We're going to take your phone calls. Dawson is going to dazzle us with his thesaurus of words that he just has come out of his mouth in a moment's notice. That's all on tap right here coming up on the game.
5: Oh, yeah.
0: Everything, everything, going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
1: 7:03 on this Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. Whew. We've had a good start to today's show so far. Talking a lot about Louisiana Raging Cajuns be defeating the number one ranked team in the country, LSU eight to five inside Alex Box Stadium. First win against a number one ranked team for the Cajuns since 2014. That year they defeated LSU inside Alex Box Stadium. Big win for the Cajuns, obviously more so than for the Tigers. The loss for the Tigers doesn't hurt them. If if you're comparing the two, the win means more for the Cajuns impactful on their season, on their RPI ranking, than the loss does for the Tigers. And look, LSU – Thatcher Heard, Blake Money, Riley Cooper. Oof. Those cats got big numbers up on the board when it comes to their ERA. And they had an opportunity to lower it. And they did not. Of all of them, the one that I have the most trepidation about is Blake Money. He looks lost. Uh, I'm more concerned about Thatcher Heard, to be honest. I think Thatcher's stuff is better, though. Blake, there was a couple of pitches last night where it was like batting practice balls. And I was like, whoa. And he's the type, we saw it last year, he started off so strong, right? He became Blake Money, right? He, he, it was the, he became a bit of this sensation. And then he's the type where if one pitch goes the wrong way, It snowballs on him very quickly, and how can you count on that guy in a crunch time situation? Like, I I get what you're saying about Thatcher, and I I would be look. I'm concerned about LSU's back end period because they're
2: going to have to lean on them because they don't have a number two or number three guy. Well, and Thatcher was was that guy for a while. Was that number three guy, and so that's why you're concerned. I think. The good thing that, and I think you maybe have been underestimating it a little bit. Like I still don't think Ty Floyd is is done, um, and I think his his season long numbers suggest that he can be a number two guy. I know he hasn't been quite as good in SEC play, but again, they face four of the top ten teams in the country. So, but once again,
1: my counter argument to that is, if you're going to win a nat- look, the expectation at LSU is to win national titles. It's not to make a regional. Whether that's fair or not, we can have that separate discussion. But the expectation for the folks that bleed purple and gold when it comes to their baseball team is they are supposed to go to Omaha and they are supposed to win national titles. It is unrealistic. It's just like Kentucky basketball and Alabama football. It, it, it's it's not based in reality, but that's the expectation. And, with- and you, when you get to a super regional, you're going to be facing another great team and you're going to have to win two or three to advance to Omaha. And when you get to Omaha, you're going to have to win multiple games against great teams. You're not going to be facing the Little Sisters of the Poor. That, and so that's that's my counter. That's why I push back on you on that because – They've got a good team this year, though. They have a great team. They have Let's a great lineup. Little
2: Sisters of the Poor. Oh, the Little Sisters of the Poor. Yeah.
1: So th- th- that's my thing. Like, yes, that schedule that they faced – is brutal. No one's faced that in the country. Absolutely. But when you get to the super regional round and you get to the Omaha, you're gonna face that type of competition, if not that, if not better.
2: And and I don't think Ty Floyd would be a good enough number two to to win games for a team that couldn't score. But like with this offense, he's just gotta be okay. And I think he will be. Now, That's behind fair. that, I think you need I do think you need a third guy. Because as you mentioned, when you get to a college world series or a super regional, you you know, look in a super regional. If you win the first two, you might not have to play the third, right? But in Omaha, you're going to have to play more than two games. Correct. So I do I do think that that that's important. But Coleman could be that guy. Well, then that's that's the next level of it. And again, they're going to get they're going to get a couple of guys back. They they hope that, they you know hope. and Chase Shores and those but guys. But he so.
1: when you watched him warm up yesterday, we got there early enough, and I watched him, and I was like, well, that doesn't look like a guy that's coming off Tommy John. And he went out there, and he had complete command of his stuff. Now, it's only one inning. I get that. But he struck out two batters and then got the third, and it was a one, two, three, bang, bang inning. And they pulled him because it was his first time playing and pitching in 18 months. And he's coming off Tommy John surgery. You have time to take him – And give him enough time to slowly ramp up, Dawson. That he could be your X factor for the regional, super regionals, and for Omaha. He could be your guy. Maybe so. Um, But you're right. They need to find another guy. And look, Ty could. I think Ty's more of a number three guy. but, But maybe he could be good enough to be a number two for this team if he can get back on track because the lineup is so good, right? Even in a loss last night, they still scored five runs,
2: and they hit the ball hard all (laughs) game long. Yes, yes, they did.
1: So, but the the pitching is the
2: it. The pitching could be the Achilles'
1: heel for LSU.
2: So I want to switch things over and talk about this game from you all's perspective for a little bit, if if you're okay with that, Mister RP3.
1: Well, I was. I mean, I had it on the on the rundown to do so, but I know. That's fine. I mean, you go ahead and take
2: credit for it. Like that's, it was fine. A- that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. You're taking <laughs> so, credit for it. Anyway, it's huge. It, it, it could, it oh, could yeah.
1: change the entire trajectory right. of their season.
2: And and I want to kind of make that point, too, because I think, you know, and again, like, I you know, you get caught up in the UL. Some people get really caught up in the UL-LSU, like, rivalry thing, and LSU likes to dismiss it, but then actually cares about it. And UL obviously cares about beating, you know, a, a team that's that's – obviously the program is – Huge in LSU. Um, but you see a lot of people talking about this is their Super Bowl, things like that. And for UL, like it's not the case. Like I listen, I went to UL for four years. We never lost to LSU until my senior year. Um and so like it was a, it wasn't like, Oh my gosh, this it's one game, we finally beat L S U. Like UL has been competitive against LSU forever. And the programs are certainly look, LSU I'm not gonna act like UL is where LSU is as a program. Like the the resources and the the size and everything like that is different, but like these teams have played competitive baseball games for a long time. And I remember, you know, like while I was there, I was like, "Man, we're never we're never going to lose to him." John Wyndham walk off RBI single and extra innings. Colton Schmidt throwing a gem my sophomore year. I kind of sound like foot with some of these like historical references, right? But he's rubbing off on you, yes. Anyway, my point being with all that, like in some years too, if UL doesn't have a great team, it can be like, oh, it's a it's a big win over LSU to kind of make have a feel good moment in what's not a great season. This win specifically last night, where, the, where we are, and I've been talking about how I kind of felt like an at-large bid was slipping and, and was pretty much gone, it changed everything. And Kendall Rogers tweeted as much, uh, who does some great work for D1 Baseball, like one of the best guys I follow for college baseball news, and this changes UL's outlook completely. They were 76th in the RPI entering last night's game, uh, which is obviously out of the question. They went up 14 spots in one win. In one win, and here's
1: the other thing that it could set it up. So you you hate to look ahead, right? But Kevin and I were discussing this while we were traveling back from the game last night. And, you know, you're on the basin, so you have time to kill. So I look at their schedule, and I, I, I favor the Cajuns to win three of their five series that are left. This weekend at James Madison, at ULM, and I think, what is it, Texas State at home? And then they have two series that can go a long way for them. That's Coastal Carolina comes to the Teague next weekend. Festival International 5K Raymond not trying not to die on the course weekend. That's what it's also known as. And then closing out the regular season at Southern Miss. Kevin and I talked about this with last night's win for the Cajuns. If they win the three series that they're supposed to win, and let's say they go three and three against Coastal and Southern Miss. Let's say they don't win the series, or, or some combination, right? They don't win both series, but they win a total of three games out of the six against Coastal and Southern Miss. Then they're at, a, then they will be an at-large team for sure, without a doubt. Because RPI for both Southern Miss and Coastal helps them, and that would pretty much put them in the top three in the conference standings. With wins over Coastal and Southern Miss. Now, obviously, you would love to win the Coastal Series, and that could go ahead and lock up things for you a little bit earlier, and that would improve your standing. But last night's win is so big in that regard that I think it sets them up now to be an at large team.
2: No, it was enormous. And like, I. So when I've been looking at the way the season progresses, and like, I don't think anything can be locked up with the Coastal Series, but you can. What you can do is create some more margin for error for yourself, which in baseball is important because, like, again, it's baseball. You can play really, really well and lose games because it's baseball. And LSU, to be honest, last night, like, I don't think they necessarily played better than UL, but they hit the ball on the screws four or five times and you made great defensive plays or the ball was hit at guys. Um, Now, not to say UL didn't hit a few balls hard as well, but, like, that's my point. It's just, it's baseball, right? So you go up from 74 to 62 and you you know you have to be probably in the 40s. I think you have to be in the 40s to really be a legitimate uh you know, at large consideration team. If you're in the 40s and you're in the top 3 in the Sunbelt standings when the season ends, I think you're probably in. Correct. Or you're very close to the bubble and then of course sometimes with conference tournaments it depends if we get a couple of surprises that can change things, but Correct.
1: And they have to take care of business in those other series and they can't absolutely. drop a game to Northwestern State in a midweek contest or Southern, right? So you have to avoid those traps, if you will. Um, I don't know if going up and beating Louisiana Tech and Rustin is going to help them all that much because Tech is kind of right, right, a 500 team. Yeah, it might help them a little. It may help them a little bit. I think the Texas State series is probably bigger.
2: Which, that's a team, too, that's starting to play better baseball. They got another big midweek win over a top 25 team in UTSA last night, so that's something, and, and that team can really hit. But the other thing about this whole situation for me is that You've kind of changed your outlook on, you know, what your margin for error was. Like, I really think they were in a situation where they had to essentially win win every series the rest of the way and maybe sweep one or two to have a shot. Now that's not really the case anymore. And so, like, my goal is always f- for UL's program to be an at large team heading into the conference tournament, not have to win it. So, like, the pressure of having to win the conference tournament is just immense every year. So, correct. They're pretty much all- back on the right track. The other thing to think about. And, like, I know LSU has some injuries right now, too, but, like, you all didn't have their best player last night. Kyle DeBarge is still not back fully healthy. He didn't play at all. Julian Brock didn't start the game. He then came in. You had Clay Wargo get the start. And how about the sacrifice bunt machine? And, I mean, not easy pitches to get down. And I think some people take for granted, like, the ability to get a bunt down. Like, that's something that Clay Wargo did an outstanding – and he caught a really good game behind his pitchers. They attacked LSU in a multitude of ways, right? They played Matt Dagg's baseball. Correct. uh, if they're going to do that moving forward, like they they didn't do that certainly against Troy, they struggled offensively mm-hmm. for the most for the majority of that series. So if you're going to get back on track with that, I think Marshak. I've seen it again. Like I I tell you, the eye test tells me he's back. Like they're moving in the right direction. If you get to Barge healthy and Julian Brock, of course that was a uh, you know it was food poisoning with him, so that's something we're expecting him. And he came in and actually had a couple of hits off the bench last night. But um, you need things Carson, are looking
1: up. You need Carson to start returning to form.
2: Yeah, and, the, and the, uh, that's the crazy thing, too. I think it also speaks to how good of a hitter he is, that he's hitting over three hundred and he hasn't really... He hasn't but only put, got two right. homers. He hasn't been driving the ball the way he did last year. So, you get Rockeford going. Heath Hood's been, again, like a, you know... Player of the year. I don't think he's Canada. going to win. No, player he's not going to win, but, yeah. but he's playing like it. And, you know, everything's starting to... I don't know, It shifted my mindset a lot, because I didn't go into that game thinking you all had all that much of a chance. The other thing, too, is midweek... I saw some of the LSU fans and, or just you know, some people around it talk about midweek games because, of course, like with Paul Maneri, he didn't care much about midweek games, and that was always a debate. LSU fans hated losing them, but it whatever. I think Jay Johnson's not necessarily exactly like that, and they haven't even come close to losing a midweek game this year. So, like, that's another thing to keep in mind. That's an impressive win for UL. It's their first midweek loss of the season, and most of their midweek wins were ten wins run rules, at, at yeah, mercy rule games, and so. All things considered, again, it's not—it's one game, and it's not—you know—but I do think it has a chance to change what you're capable of accomplishing. It can be a
1: huge turning point for the Cajuns, right? That's what—that's where it at. It it can be a a a huge turning point in the season for them to be able to turn it around and then build some momentum towards the back half of the schedule. And they'll try that with a three-game set across the country at James Madison this weekend. We'll see if the Cajuns can build on some momentum and get things headed in the right direction. We'll talk more about this game as we hear from Matt Deggs and some of the players. That's next right here on The Game.
0: This is RP3 and company on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day... Every day. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
4: I know what this game means inside of, of our program and I know what this game means inside of Cajun Nation, inside the city of Lafayette. And so is the biggest game of the year. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And I told him, uh, winning this game has a chance to cover up a multitude of sins <laughs> that that you know that that we've uh, you know that that's just kind of transpired lately. Uh, just not great baseball. But you know, like Rich Strike, man, you're never out of it. There's 21 horses in front of him, and he just kept running. Matt Diggs.
1: I love the end of that clip. Uh, he folded in the Miracle on Ice and Rich Strike into the post-gamer, which he, was phenomenal.
2: He turned that cream into butter.
1: Oh, man. Uh, look, we talked about it. This It was a bigger deal for the Cajuns. They needed this game more than LSU did. And this could be a, a huge deal for them moving forward. And... You know, something that they were able to do against LSU's pitching after Coleman left the game after the first inning and then they went to Thatcher and then Cooper and, and the rest of the game is that they kept stacking runs, right? It, it they, they didn't stop. It was two runs here, two runs here, two runs here. They were just never kind of took their foot off the gas with the aggression, and Deggs talked about, his team's ability to be able to do that to continue stacking runs throughout the game. I Wait wish I win. could.
4: <laughs> 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 if I could do that, I would do that every inning. <laughs> but on. no, you're right. I mean, we just kept finding a way, and sometimes the game finds you like that. Uh, you know, I was I was disappointed. We left some guys out there. We really had a chance to to to. Tr- I'm not going to say finish because I don't think I don't think 10 runs is safe against those guys, but to really build on that lead. They were able to just
1: get after it. And you know what else stood out to me about this game is how they got contributions from pretty much everyone, in particular the bottom of the lineup. And Connor Higgs was down there towards the bottom of the lineup. He had a big night, three hits, had a home run as well. And look, he talked about afterwards what this kind of win can do for this team's confidence moving forward in the back half of the conference schedule?
4: Oh, absolutely. It it helps a lot coming in here and beating this team on the road. I mean, they're one of the best teams to be formed ever,
1: and being able to come and take them down is big time for our confidence as a team, and I expect us to roll. The man said, the best team ever formed. <laughs> like... What always impresses me is, look, when we talk to the Cajun guys afterwards, they understand what the environment is. They understand how special Alex Box Stadium is. He had 11,000-plus in attendance for a midweek game. And it, they did get loud. And you're taking on the number one team in the country. So they understand that they were the underdog. They understand the environment that they're in they understand how special it is and yet they still were able to go out there and execute and win the game
2: yeah and i wonder if there's a little bit of i don't know if sarcasm would be the word but but kind of like you know when when you hear so much about how great a team is you know and then you get a chance to go in there and beat them and then you just kind of have that oh i thought this team was unbeatable type of mentality about it you know especially as an underdog and I, and that's kind of what i sense from from some of it uh, from some of the post post game reactions, it, it was I didn't get that in person. No,
1: okay. I got I, I got that it was a they had a genuine amount of respect for Alex Box and for this LSU team. Like I, it, it was more of a to, to, uh, being there in person. There was more of kind of just a childlike joy of look what we just did, not like smart alecky oh, well, you know, you're the, you're supposed to be the best team in the country. No, no, it was more of that's the best team in the country and we just beat them in their place. That's how it came off to me when you talk to them in person, whether that was Coach Deggs, whether that was Heath Hood, Connor Higgs, or David Christie. Like, it, it – that's how it came off like there's a genuine respect for the opponent in the environment and they were just really happy that they were able to get a win and and look give credit for this team to being able to kind of come together put everything together like they did and Heath Hood who had a big night he had a home run as well And, and we've talked about how great of a season he's had he just talked about you know he was asked what was the big difference and he basically said, look, we put it all together tonight.
2: I think we put a complete game together like we've been trying to all year. You know, we've done it a few times uh, here and there, but tonight we really, we gelled. The, the bats were live. The pitching was stellar. Defense was great. So
4: put it all together.
1: When you're able to play your best and you're able to beat the number one ranked team in the country, What is that going to do for your mindset? What is that going to do for your psyche moving forward? Now, you're going to have the belief, the confidence, if you will, that you can beat any team that you face. That there's no team that can stand in your way. And for a program like the Cajuns that play in the Sun Belt, that is absolutely huge for them. That's why it's such a big deal for the Cajuns because now they have the confidence that we went into Alex box stadium. We beat the number one ranked team in the country and we took down the best lineup in the country. They're going to have no fear moving forward. Now taking on coast and they weren't really that team anyway. It's not like they ever played scared, but now they're going to have an additional huge boost of confidence that they can take two or three or win the whole series against Coastal. That they can go on the road and take down Southern Miss. That they can win the conference tournament again. And this is a team that had a bit of a lull and needed a boost. And they got it in a big way last night and a total team effort as well. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on our guy, Doug. Doug, good morning to you, brother. Thank you for patiently waiting. What's on your mind, my friend?
5: Well, thanks, Ray. Look, both both LSU men... And women's both lose to Louisiana teams last night. I mean, that's saying something for Louisiana baseball and softball. McNeese, I mean, they, they pulled one out. But, but Ray, I, I, Coach Jay, man, I, he just don't – I don't understand what's going on with the pitching staff. That shouldn't have happened last night. And granted, the Cajun men, look, that's a good team right there. and They came to play. But whenever Coach Jay put the lineup together, I just I don't think he, he figured it out yet, and I haven't either. So, but come on, man. What
1: didn't you like about the lineup?
5: Well, I mean Coleman was okay. I mean, but I, I oh he put was, him in like in the middle of the – Well, uh, no.
1: So you're talking about the pitch. So look, I thought Coleman was magnificent. I watched him in pregame, and his stuff was filthy. Uh, obviously, yeah. he he's going to be limited. They're going to slowly ramp him up because he's coming off Tommy John. And he could be the X factor for this team to win a national title. I I, I truly believe that. I think Jay, look, the, the pitching staff is what it is. And I, I think you're to the point of the season now, Doug, where if you're Jay, you give your guys the opportunity to go out there and try to get right and let them try to pitch out of their funk. Because obviously, giving them a quick hook isn't working. So I think he took the approach of, okay, guys, fight through it, battle through, figure it out. I'm going to give you the time to figure it out. And look, Cooper had some moments, right, where he kind of battled, but then it yeah. got away from him. You know, yeah. that you know, that Thatcher just wasn't good. And Blake, Blake looks lost. He he just does. He he, he, he does. He, he looks lost. So the, the 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 combination of relief guys. Is a big question mark, but it's April nineteenth, Doug. Like they're not yeah. going to be able to figure this out, right? They're just going to have to hope that they can out hit the competition.
5: It just seemed like the last year, of Maneri. You know, you mismatch everybody out of the bullpen, see what you got. But he should have had that pick it up by now. I'm just, I'm worried, Ray. I'm
3: worried well, they're going to go
5: by the way of Tennessee.
1: I think, and look, I think that's, a, I think that's a concern, right? I think the pitching can be the Achilles heel. To, and and not to defend Jay but and, and and this is how I'm just I'm just built too doug is Jay can't pitch for them right and uh yeah right right and those guys may be showing Jay and his staff something during practice and something exactly. during warm-ups where you go okay then he can handle this and then he gets into the game and he makes a bad decision or makes some fielding blunders which they had last night right they they uh, the, the pitchers yeah. didn't necessarily uh you know field very well I was and
5: thinking the same thing last night Ray. thinking the same exact thing they're showing something different in practice and when it when it comes to in game they just they just don't perform
1: look we, we say I'm
5: worried, this Ray, I'm worried we say this all
1: the time Doug some guys are built to play for lSU and some guys aren't and that's right. and 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 I'm not saying that to be mean or to be disparaging but some guys are built to wear the purple and gold and play for the LSU Tigers. Other guys aren't. And oh,
5: couldn't couldn't have been said better, Ray.
1: So, but I do look, I think you need to have hope because Coleman, his stuff was filthy, and if you can slowly build him up the rest of the regular season, he could be an X factor. He could be that other arm that you're looking for to have that, that you'll need to have to put together a long postseason run, brother.
5: I certainly hope so, Ray. But thanks for taking my call, buddy.
1: All right, bud. Enjoy your day. Look, we we talked about it at the start of the season. As the season has progressed, the Achilles heel for LSU is going to be their pitching staff. Do they have enough guys just to be mediocre? Like, that's the thing, right, Dawson? Like, they don't have to be great. They don't need to be Paul Skeens. They just have to be serviceable enough not to give up six runs. (laughs) <laughs> right, because they have a lineup that's going to give them five to six runs at least every game. They just need to have another guy or two be serviceable enough not to get tattooed like it's batting practice. That's all. Coleman could be that guy. Coleman could be guy, because the rest of the guys
0: they're on the struggle bus.
1: We gotta take a timeout. More RP three and company though coming up right here on the game. Raging Cajuns take down the number one ranked team in the country. 8-5 to five last night. We've been talking a lot about that. Hearing from the players and skipper Matt Deggs. We've also taken your phone calls. But don't forget, it is Wednesday. And that means our poll question of the day is our foodie poll question of the week. It's the poll question you look forward to. The poll question you daydream about. It's a good one, too. Do you eat breakfast for dinner? Yes, one of my favorites. No, breakfast equals morning. Maybe not a huge fan of breakfast for dinner. Full transparency. The Parch Household, led by yours truly, RP3, also featuring. My better half, Tina Parch, and our daughter, Hattie Elise Parch. D'Lo, we are a big, when I say big, big breakfast for dinner type of family. Love having the hot breakfast for dinner. My wife and daughter will also pull out cereal for dinner from time to time, which I'm not a fan of, but that's their jam. But breakfast for dinner. We haven't dove into this yet. The people have voted. The people have commented. Where do you stand on breakfast for dinner? Now, you're a big, healthy guy, right? Living your best life. You're working out. You're looking fit. Getting prepared for the 5K. You've already set some goals for yourself. My goal is to not pass out along the 5K route. That's my big goal, to finish. And to be under 300 pounds by the time I run it, which, by the way, only a pound away in today
2: wow
1: what
2: um do you know where the route is i just know it ends at festival right i was gonna say why don't you just jog right on from the finish line right over to russo park and the cajuns are hosting coastal carolina that afternoon that should oh, be interesting just roll in smelling like a million dollars yeah, maybe maybe matt Deggs would like you to give the pregame speech to the team after you have a heroic feat that morning guys i actually
1: was able to you walk slash jog the 5K and I survived. You guys can take down the Angry Sea Roosters. Let's go.
2: There you go. That's all it would take. Yeah, so that is for, a
1: chanticleer, correct? Uh, yeah. It's um, an angry
2: sea rooster. Something along those lines. Right. Beach chickens.
1: <laughs> Beach chickens.
2: Um breakfast for dinner. Is it your jam? Yes or no? I'm okay with it. I don't I don't seek it out. Now, there was something when I attended the wonderful University of Louisiana. I Lafayette. yet. By the way. For people who don't understand the name, the academic name of the institution is the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. It's okay to refer to it as that. The, acad- the athletic branding is Louisiana Rage of similar to UT Austin going by Texas for Athletics, or UC Berkeley going as California. Anyway. Or even Cal. Right. Even shorter version. Okay. There we go. But anyway, when I attended that university, we had something that was really fun around exam time, um, and I think they still do it. Last I checked. Called uh, Midnight Breakfast, and it took place in our wonderful dining hall, Cypress Lake, where, um, you know, for a meal swipe, if you were someone who had a meal plan, which I did for the first two years I was there, you could essentially go during finals, so, you know, they knew people were up late studying. you could go to the cafeteria and get a late-night pancake breakfast, and it was, it was fantastic, some oh, great memories pancake. surrounding yes. panicking about finals, but taking a break when, I should, when we should be studying. To enjoy some pancakes and sausage in the cafeteria. So uh, I do have some fond memories of that. But, like, again, I'm not going to seek it out. You know, there are other people in my life that are obsessed with breakfast for dinner. Um, for me, it's fine. And if it's there, I'll eat it if that's what we decide on. But, like, if I go to a, a restaurant that serves both, like, uh, you know, let's say, like Cracker Barrel, something like that. Waffle House. Waffle House as well. I'm Now, Waffle House, I don't know because there's not as many. I, I have gotten dinner at Waffle House, though, and I don't mind it. But, like, if I go to a place that equally is, you know, pretty even and, like, they have dinner, they have breakfast, both are pretty good, I'll usually choose dinner. let um, But I'm not opposed to
1: it in any way, no. Not opposed to it. So you're, you're you're slightly indifferent. You would be falling into the maybe not a huge fan of breakfast for dinner category. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah all right, that's fine.
2: Also, certainly depends on what the breakfast option is, too. Like, I don't think this is simply, like, you know, any breakfast item. Like, you know, if it's the right... If it's the right breakfast item, I might be more inclined. You know what I mean? If there's Eggs, a nice chocolate sausage, chip bacon. Yeah, right. But if, pancakes, if there's a nice chocolate chip waffle involved, I'd be more waffles, likely to to partake. French
1: toast. Yeah. Go go all day long. Who dat forever has says ate cereal for dinner last night. So who dat is he's he's pro breakfast for dinner. JPK the od says no, but I do eat dinner for breakfast. Sonic double cheeseburger at six a.m. for the win. Now here's my question about that. Have I been known to eat dinner food at breakfast time? Yes. So obviously Sonic is not open at 6 a.m. making burgers at 6 a.m.
2: Oh, isn't that the idea, the 24 hours you can get anything on their menu? Isn't that, is, that, is that not mm-hmm. a thing anymore? I'll have to look into that. The other thing that's frustrated me is COVID changed this thing where certain restaurants were having breakfast all day. And because, look, you know, at times when I was uh, in college, I had a weird sleep schedule and I'd be getting up late and then you can't even get certain things because of COVID. They were like, oh, we don't do that anymore. And I was like, well, well, that there's not what there's only like, why does it matter? (laughs) And then they never went back to it. And it's like, we're four years later and they're like, yep, COVID, we don't do breakfast for dinner anymore. I'm like, "Wait, wait, wait, why? That's not really an excuse anymore. I don't I don't think. But anyway, there we go.
1: We did have a follow up. Ton says, once or twice a month, can't beat biscuits and gravy with bacon and a toad in the hole. And I was like, what is toad in the hole? And thankfully, Ton, oh man, our guy Ton, always coming through in the clutch, explains what toad in the hole is. Toad in the hole, you cut a hole in a piece of bread, toast it up in a skillet while frying an egg in the hole of the bread. So freaking good. That sounds amazing. That sounds phenomenal. Back in the day, you know what your boy used to do? Many moons ago, which is the reason why I'm as large as I am. Because I used to be, you know, built like you, Dawson, at one time, believe it or not. So many moons ago, I worked overnights at Hardee's on the weekend. So I was like the crew leader. I ran the restaurant and when I got off work was essentially like my dinner. So you know what I used to do? I used to make myself get off work. I'd make it myself before I clocked out. I would make me a big plate of like biscuits and gravy. And I think it would be like two biscuits. So two, maybe three biscuits covered in sausage gravy, then scrambled eggs on top. With hot sauce, and I would eat that, and then I would go to sleep and sleep during the day, and I, I wonder why I gained so much weight. <laughs> that was, that was, I, how long so, ago was that? That was 1996, so that's, I, I can't even do the math on that. I mean, that's 25 I, years?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, somewhere along those lines. The yeah. details aren't important. But, yeah, that was a long time That was before uh, you were born, bud. Yeah, well... <laughs> You know, I I missed out on the I never worked fast food growing. I had a lot of uh, parking attendant. Like I worked some other jobs, but I didn't do fast food. But what I seem like I what I feel like I missed about it is the opportunity when the sh- restaurant closes up to just create things with what's <laughs> left over. Yes, because I've heard stories from multiple friends who have had similar stories in different restaurants. Uh, so that's what I feel like I maybe missed out not 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 working fast food. Don't know if I uh, regret not working in fast food I think I maybe was okay there but that's what I would have it was a good time and I put on some weight foodie poll
1: question of the day do you eat breakfast for dinner 55% of you say yes it's one of your favorites 24% of you say maybe not a huge fan of breakfast for dinner I don't know what to do with this information and 21% of you say no breakfast only is for the morning that's it only for the morning Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day, which is our foodie poll question of the week. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout the remainder of today's show. We got to take a timeout. When we return here, we'll close out hour number two. We'll talk about that big win for the Cajun softball team and the McNeese softball team. That's next right here on the game.
0: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. Or some flavored water. Back, Back to more kick-ass, kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the, on the game. game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's, Louisiana's sports station.
1: station. Magnusk. Cowgirls got themselves another top 25 victory last night as they took down number 15 ranked LSU over in the chuck, four to three, dramatic fashion, getting a run there in the bottom of the six, which proved to be the difference. LSU was sloppy in the field, three errors on the night, but McNeese fought its way back. They were down 3-0 after the first. They put three in the third. Then they got the deciding run there in the sixth. And they did so in front of a new Cowgirl Diamond crowd. A record nearly 1,500 fans in attendance there for McNeese to watch them take on LSU. With the win, McNeese improves to 33-12 and overall, extends its winning streak to seven straight games, while LSU falls to 34-11. and The win is the first win over LSU since 2014, snapping a 13-game losing skid against the Tigers for the Cowgirls. The win is also the first home win over LSU since 2009, and it's the first win over LSU for longtime McNeese head coach James Landrineau. So, a bit of a big deal for McNeese. And that gives them another top 25 win. Remember, they took down Washington. They took down North Texas, who were both ranked in the top 25. That's a great quality win for them for RPI purposes. And you know what? It probably helps the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, who won last night as well, exploding for, what, seven runs in the sixth inning in their victory uh, because UL swept McNeese during the regular season, winning all three games. So... McNeese continues win. McNeese gets big wins. That's a big deal for McNeese. It's also a big deal for UL, but the Cowgirls, man, they nearly won the Northwestern Regional last year.
2: Don't forget that. Yeah, and they jumped up seven spots in the RPI for that win, and so they're up to 53. It's kind of like the Cajuns. It was feeling like... You know, the at-large chances were dying down. Now you're back in the mix. Now, I still don't know if McNeese has enough left on the schedule to get them up into the top 45-ish range like UL, but they're in a better spot right now because they're 53. So that's a big win there. UL also up to number 9, one more spot up in the RPI, and LSU ends up staying the same with the loss. Actually didn't drop. They're still fifth.
1: It looks like we're going to have... McNeese either playing at the Lafayette Regional or the Baton Rouge Regional. Because I feel like even though we've talked about the Raging Cajuns RPI and their schedule, I mean, it sure does seem like they're they're trending to being a regional host to me. I could be wrong. I'm off and am, but we'll see. Still plenty of season left to go. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three we'll talk Raging Cajuns baseball with Jay Walker. That's next right here on the game. Whoa.
0: Everything, everything gonna be alright this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
1: Final hour of RP3 and Company has arrived on this Wednesday edition. Coming up half an hour from right now, Ryan Henson, better known as that Boy Wolf, will join us to talk Saints mock draft, which could be a whole lot of fun. That's coming up. Also, don't forget to vote on our food e-question of the week, which is always our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. Do you like having breakfast for dinner? Yes, no, or eh, you are kind of indifferent about it? That's our foodie poll question of the week. Go vote on that. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout the remainder of today's show. Raging Cajuns go into Alex Box Stadium and pull out an 8-5 victory over the number one ranked team in the country. First time they've beaten the number one ranked team since 2014. That was also against LSU inside Alex Box Stadium. Could be a big turning point for Matt Deggs' squad. And to talk more about it is the man who was eh, only about 15 feet away from me, but he had his own special room because, well, he's a big deal. Long-time voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker, joins us now. Jay, good morning to you, brother. How are
6: you, my friend? I'm doing fine, and and I'll tell you, I will have breakfast for dinner seven days a week. I'm all about breakfast for dinner.
1: My man. My man. All right, brother. Just give me your big takeaway from what you called last night there inside of Alex Box Stadium.
6: Well, first of all, LSU's lineup is frightening. I mean, it, <laughs> man, they're really good. Um, and you, they get the leadoff, man, on seven times in nine innings, and the Cajuns still find a way to keep them off the board for the most part. Obviously, David Christie uh, gets the game ball for for his performance. Um and, you know, <laughs> Rawls comes in and he gives up that mammoth home run to Trey Morgan. And then uh, he turns right around and he gets Cruz looking at a third strike. You know, I like it when pitchers pitch with no fear. And that's hard to do against a team like LSU because that, I mean, that's the best offensive team on the planet. But, uh, but I thought the Cajun pitchers really stood tall. And uh, while the Cajuns had 14 hits and that was great. Uh, it, it, last night was all about the pitching, I think,
1: and, and the pitching set the right tone. and And for a young man like Christie, who had a rough week last week, and to yeah. have his skipper yeah. say, "Here is the ball, go out there," and he pitched a career game, uh, six innings, a career high six innings, only giving up one run on three hits. Uh, just a magnificent performance for a guy who. Needed a bounce back game, and he did so against the country's best lineup.
6: Yeah, yeah, he was he was superb. You know he uh, you know you got to clean up walking the leadoff hitter, okay? Because that happened a few times uh, during the game. But gosh, that's about the only criticism you could have of the kid. I mean, he made some huge pitches uh, when he needed to, and kudos to the Cajun defense. They played really, really well behind him. Uh, the Cajun defense is outstanding and has been all year long, and they were again last night.
2: So, Jay, it's always a big deal to beat LSU, so I don't want to act like it's, it's not. But last night's even more important maybe because the RPI implications, and the Cajuns jumped 14 spots. So does this kind of change maybe what their outlook is on maybe you do have a chance to be an at-large team when for a while it was looking like that might be fading?
6: Well, if you're going to, to do that, if you're going to be an at-large team, you've got to play good teams and you have to beat them. Um, you know The Cajuns have a lot of opportunities coming up in the rest of the season. They've got Coastal Carolina coming in. They're going to Southern Miss. Those are two teams with RPIs in the top 25. And then you have Texas State coming in, and they're right around the 50 mark. So you, you're going to have opportunities to put yourself in a really good position. What last night did was I think it showed the Cajuns team that they can play with anybody. And um, so, you know, I I think that you're going to see a very confident group uh, when they go out playing the rest of the teams that are on the schedule. And there are some really good teams on the schedule.
2: Well, the other thing I saw too, we talked about David Christie and kind of what he was able to accomplish. I've been seeing, and I mentioned this earlier, Max Marshock to me has turned the corner and, I don't know, for me, it's just something with the eye test, because I know the numbers started to come along a couple of weeks ago, but I felt like his at-bats, his swings last night showed me, I think this guy might be ready to go on a tear the next couple of weeks.
6: Yeah, you know, and, and it has been kind of bubbling in that direction. Um, you know, he made an adjustment at the plate that, uh, that Deggs has talked about, and since then I just think he's seeing it better, and he's starting to hit the ball with authority. Um, he very nearly uh, hit one out last night, and then he got that ringing double uh, late in the game. No, I'm with you. Uh, You know, we're getting to the point now. And once you get the barge back and you get, you know, Brock back full time uh, with Marshak up and running, and we saw they hit the ball really well. He's, he's doing better as well. You're going to have a lineup without any holes. and, it's something that really they've been waiting for all year long. But I agree with you on Marshak. I, I, I'm i starting to really, really like what I see out of him.
1: We're talking with Jay Walker, the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Jay, not only did they win the game last night, they did so in a multitude of ways. They were aggressive on the base pass, and, and look, it cost them in a, in a couple occasions where they left some guys stranded, but... They did so with the bottom of their lineup. They did so with sacrifice bunts. They did so with the long ball. They put together an absolute complete game, top to bottom, top of the lineup, bottom of the lineup, and did so in a multitude of ways.
6: Bottom third of the lineup um, was outstanding last night. Uh, I want to say that they were they were on base, uh, I want to say, a 10 out of 15 times or something like that. And, uh, you know, that helps to set the table. Uh, for, the, for the top of the lineup to come through, which they did. Um, I, was, I was just, you know you know what the other thing about last night? Connor Higgs, and you know, here's a guy that if you look at his splits, what he's done coming off the bench and what he's done as a starter. Going into last night, he was two for 16 with nine strikeouts when he's in the starting lineup. Last night he broke through. And, uh, you know, I think what happens a lot of times to to athletes is, you know, it becomes a mental thing, and that was a huge breakthrough for Higgs last night because now he knows that that Matt can write his name in the lineup and he can go ahead and come out and come through. I thought his at-bats last night were big for him for the rest of the season.
2: Well, the last guy that I kind of had underlined in my notes with the performance last night, and of course there was plenty, was, was Cooper Rawls because we talked to Coach Deggs earlier in the week and he got the sense he didn't want to have to use him on Tuesday night, but then it felt like late in the game the win is right there in front of you and he couldn't resist himself. He puts him in to close it out. So do you see Cooper just staying in that flex role? There's still a good chance, I guess, that he's going to start this weekend. What do you see you know, about Cooper moving forward?
6: Well, he's your Friday night guy now, um, at least for the foreseeable future, because Jay Hammond's going to be out for a while uh, with that groin injury. Um, so he already announced that that uh, that Coop would start on Friday, and and I think he's going to have to stay there um, till further notice. But you know, I knew last night that with if if the game's on the line and they needed him, that that Matt would go to him for an inning. Uh, and he did. You know, he winds up striking out the side. I'm, um, boy. The, the, what I what I want to say about Coop is he just pitches nasty. You know, he, he gets out there and he pitches with I. You know, Matt Deggs would call it intent. I think because he goes out there and he believes that he's better than you are, and then he's going to show you that he's better than you are. And he's going to make you like it. And that's the kind of mindset that this kid has. And it's one of the reasons why he's been so successful this year. Because he goes out there believing that you can't hit him. And that's pitching with intent.
2: Well, this team now has a difficult road trip to turn around and go to James Madison, who is a team that's been up and down in their first year in the Sun Belt. What are kind of your overall expectations for that series? And once again, kind of a new trip, team they haven't really seen before.
6: Yeah, I you know, with the video that you have nowadays, it's much easier to put together a scouting report on a team uh, that uh, when you don't really know the personnel very much. So that part of it is is not a worry. But, you know, you've got to understand now, you've got to be able to, look, wake up this morning and go – uh, go lift or, or whatever it is they're going to do today and, and flush what happened last night. That's not an easy thing to do. Cause let me tell you something, I ain't flushing it. I mean, I'm <laughs> going to be, I'm going to be a pretty happy guy all day today. Uh, but the team has got to be able to do that. They've got to refocus They're Look, they're, they're going to be, I think most vulnerable on Friday. Um, and it's really good that they're going to have Rawls out there because You know, it's just so hard to just forget about what you just did. And what you just did was you found a way to navigate the best lineup in college baseball and go into a hostile environment, take the crowd out of the game early and not let them get in it and get a huge win over the number one ranked team in the country. And now you're going to go and play a team that you don't know much about and a team that's, you know, just kind of okay. Uh, those nights are dangerous, and so the Cajuns have got to be ready.
1: Jay, we'll wrap it up with this. I mean, you kind of hinted at it, and and some of the guys talked about it with us on the field afterwards. Was hey, this is a great win, but you know, uh, we we got to get ready for a, a road trip, right? So, it, 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 some of them already have that mentality. But do you believe a win like this that Matt Deggs in his veteran ball club? that they're going to be able to use this as a launching off point for the back half of the season and build some serious momentum heading into the conference tournament.
6: Yeah, we'll see. You know, it's hard to predict stuff like that because, and once again, to quote, uh, to quote our good friend, Tony Robichaux, you're dealing with a game of failure here. Um, And so it's just different from other sports, I think, uh, because, you can go out and be really, really good one night and then go 0 for 4 the next. And so we'll see if they're able to catapult that uh, into something special. I do know this. I, I know that this, this has to help the confidence of this team. And I think it, and I said it earlier, I think what it, what it does, it shows them before, they, before these other teams come to town that they can go ahead and go toe-to-toe with the Coastal and toe-to-toe with Southern Miss and toe-to-toe with Texas State um, when it's time to, to 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 crank up your game and, and play teams like that. I think they've proven to themselves they can do that. I think that's the biggest thing you take away from last night.
1: Jay, appreciate your time As always, the next time I have breakfast for supper, brother, I'll give you a call and we'll, we'll get together
6: and we'll woof it down. Oh, man, I can wolf it down with the best of them. Breakfast for dinner rocks. Thanks for having me, as always, guys, Caucasians.
0: This is RP3 and company on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts
1: If you want to get your phone calls in, now's the time to do so. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Less than 10 minutes from right now, Ryan Hinton, our guy, Dat Boy Wolf from the Saints Twitter podcast will join us. We're going to have a little fun. We're going to let him do his mock draft with the Saints. By the way, our latest mock drafts, 3.0 by yours truly, Dawson. James and Matt those will begin being posted today as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft yeah it's creeping up on us but today is Wednesday which means foodie poll question of the week it's our poll question of the day on Wednesday and look if you want to talk about that you can call us if you want to talk about LSU and Cajuns baseball great McNeese softball awesome Zion Williamson sure NFL draft? Okay. You want to talk about Dawson and his two degrees and how he flexes about it all the time? We'll be gladly to address that issue as well. <laughs> as he shakes his head in disgust while the intern Lauren is here.
2: <laughs> Would you like to go in and address that, sir? Address what? You talking about things that I tell you that you don't have to talk about as much?
1: I'm just saying. I'm saying it's impressive. You have two
2: degrees. Well, thank you. You know, a lot of people don't even have one, bud. You're you right. Have two. Yep. Shout out to you. Thank you for that. And we will have more time to discuss. I, I just want to bring this up and, and put it on the table for now. Ooh, ooh, okay. All right. All right. My second degree is from Florida State. Seminoles. And there's a pretty big football game that's going to take place at the end of August. At Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida. Which, by the way... That series, and I know that Florida State's kind of adjusted the way they schedule non conference games in the future. That home and home with LSU and Florida State should have been in Tiger Stadium and Doe Campbell Stadium. Right. I I I just don't like the neutral site. I, I hate neutral
1: site, especially with two programs that have great home atmospheres. One hundred percent. It doesn't make any sense. Right. It, it just doesn't. Like you could have a hundred thousand people and be electric in Baton Rouge. You could be down at Doak Walker. Doke Campbell, Doke Campbell, Doke Walker, Doke Walker, Doke Walker was is the running. Actually, back. there we go. TCU, yeah. back in the day. Yeah, right. There we go. There's a lot in this big bald and beautiful head. Some of it just spills out. Is the field named after Bobby? Yes, there that is. Uh, yes, it is. Okay. Those are great college atmospheres. Like when the Sporting News did college shrines for college football. Both Tiger Stadium and Florida State was in there. Why not have them on campus? I I, I just don't get it.
2: Yeah, and and, and Florida State's kind of pivoted on that and said that, that moving forward, they're not going to do the neutral site games anymore, which I'm happy about. But um, yeah, no, I just, I, I get the idea of why it happened in the first place. But once we saw a few of them and it's like, okay, it's kind of cool, but also it takes away from the experience of it. Like, if it's a one-off,
1: I'm okay with it. Like usually what the Chick-fil-A kickoff yeah, is and, in, in Atlanta, because those two, that's not a, a one and one they, They're just playing one game, right? right? I'm okay with those. But you're taking a one and one away from the fans.
4: I, I,
2: yeah. I don't. I don't. But anyway, so that'll be fun. Uh, we'll get to preview that all summer, and um, I'm excited for it. So just wanted to throw that out on the table. Like I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking down the road. I mean, both teams progressing nicely, looking like top ten, top fifteen opponents. So are you trying
1: to find a way now that we have interns coming through? Are you trying to lay the groundwork of training them? To sub in for you to be the producer back here in the evco development studios in upper lafayette so you can be on the road with me for a road trip
2: of the beauty RP3 of it is I, I i didn't even begin to go there with my thought process but now that you brought it out on the table then i mean you're absolutely that, that sounds like a great idea no yeah i would yeah
1: i think it would be great to have so you're responsible for finding someone to fill in for you then i'll work on that there you go the ball's in your court bud. i can give them four months notice i feel like we can make it work Really, you just press the buttons and you're letting the host act uh, act like a big, uh, sometimes like a big dummy. Foodie poll question of the week. Dawson came out indifferent. He says, you know what? I don't hate breakfast for dinner. If, say, Pops makes breakfast for dinner, I'm not going to turn it down. If his lady friend says, hey, let's have breakfast for dinner, he's he's not going to say no. But he's not going to encourage it, right? He's not going to try to push the issue. So he's a maybe not a huge fan of breakfast for dinner guy. I am a breakfast for dinner all the time. We heard from our guy, Jay Walker, breakfast for dinner all the time. Right now, 63% of you say yes. It's one of your favorites, eating breakfast for dinner. 19% of you now only say maybe not a huge fan. So I'm not for sure what happened there. Dawson came out, stated his opinion, and the vote total declined. It began to crater. So, not for sure what that means. And 18% of you say no, breakfast is only for mornings. Let's get to some comments. Mr. Green says, AKA Jamie, I love breakfast for dinner. Usually easy to pour the kids some cereal, right? My dad would have us over once a week for biscuits and gravy and a toad in the hole for my wife. I didn't know anyone down here called it that at Ton. Most people here call it egg in a basket. Yeah, that's what threw me off because I know egg in a basket. But now I know that egg in the basket and a toad in a hole is the same thing. And I feel like I am a smarter man because of it. B-Rad says breakfast equals morning. However, my wife loves breakfast any time of day or night. So every now and then I'll agree to do breakfast dinner night. B-Rad is a very smart man as he accommodates what his wife wants. Shout-out to B-Rad. That's smart. Texan in Acadiana, our number one Houston Cougars fan of RP3 and company, says breakfast in the morning, breakfast in the evening, breakfast at supper time. When breakfast is on the table, you can eat breakfast any time. Keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the week, which is always our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. Keep those comments coming as well. Leave them on Facebook and the Twitter. we got to take a timeout. When we return, Ryan Hinton. From the Saints Twitter podcast will join us. We're going to do a mock draft for the Saints. We're, what, a week away tomorrow from the NFL draft. Yeah, think about that. We'll talk about that next right here on the game.
0: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
1: Believe it or not, the NFL draft is a week from tomorrow. Yeah, it seems like we talked so much about the silly season, right? The fake information season where teams try to put up smoke screens on who they really want to draft. And here we are. We're nearly a week out from the NFL draft. First round will be next Thursday. And then, of course, rounds two and three on Friday. And then rounds four through seven. So it seemed like a good time to bring on someone who is a master of the mock draft. A man who isn't afraid to take chances when he's doing his mock draft, just like Mickey Loomis isn't afraid to take chances and trade up to go get a guy. Our friend from the Saints Twitter podcast, Ryan Hinton, better known as That Boy Wolf, joins us now. Ryan, good morning to you, brother. How are you, bud? Good morning, Raymond. I'm doing pretty good, man. All right, brother. We're uh, eight days out. Are we going to see Mickey Loomis trade up in the first round?
7: I mean, that's like asking, is the sun going to come up tomorrow, man? Of course he's going to trade up. Like, when, does, when do they not trade up? I think it's – the more shock would be if they actually stay in place or trade down. So, I fully expect them to trade up. The question is how high and what will it cost?
1: Yeah, what will it cost? I did a little mock draft yesterday. Uh, We're unveiling our mock draft 3.0 this week, and I did one where I traded up five spots with Jacksonville and only had to give up a third-round pick to do it, and I jumped at the chance so I could go get me a pass rusher, uh, which I think that's what the Saints are probably targeting. Let me ask you, you know, what do you think their needs should be? Not what will they do, Ryan, but what do you think their needs should be in the first two rounds?
7: i mean look it's it's obvious they do need defensive line help whether that's defensive tackle or defensive end uh that's a that's a big need on this team uh it has been you know pretty much all offseason. you know all, all all off season so I do think that really should be a target but I don't think they should go they should address that just because it's a need you know if it, if the player doesn't match you know the value you know, it just really doesn't it they shouldn't be forced to do it. You know, if there's a better wide receiver available, you know, even though wide receiver is not a screaming need, you know, it still would make sense to go get a wide receiver or tight end. Um You know, maybe even a running back. I wouldn't say trade up for a running back, but if you stand back at twenty nine, you know, I don't think it would be a bad idea to address a running back at that position. Even though you know, defensive line would probably be a higher need. So it really depends how the board board shakes out. Um, This draft is weird because there's like a couple of really good like elite players. But after that it's just like a large group of like 50 or 60 solid players that can go kind of anywhere in the draft. It's all about where you value the position and what you need.
1: All right, so let's get right to it and let's attack that. Mock draft time. What are you doing with the number 29 overall pick? And Ryan, you do have the freedom here if you want to, you know, get bold and trade
7: up. I'll tell you if um if If they're in that position, and say, and say, uh, you know, a defensive tackle is, you know, kind of within the range, like just like the the trade you made, where you just went up about five picks, and maybe you can address that by going get, um, you know, maybe a Brian Breesy or uh, maybe a Cansey. I kind of go back and forth on him. Uh, the good the dude, War. I'm not going to say his first name. <laughs> you know, he's an interesting player. So those are players that are, if they were are within like four or five picks of the Saints, if it just took a third round pick to go and kind of solidify that, I wouldn't, it wouldn't make me mad. Um, uh, like especially War. I watched some of him the other day. His tape reminded me of Sheldon Rankins a little bit, and he does meet the athletic profile of what the Saints typically look for. Um, so I do think that's somebody they really would like. I know people hear Rankins be like, oh, uh, you know Rankins, but when I said that, I mean in in high, I mean in college, he played a lot of defensive end, but he when you saw him play at the three technique. You really saw like him be active and be able to shoot up those gaps and affect the quarterback. So I think there's a lot of athletic upside with uh Dabble War. So I think that would be a move I would go and if I stayed Pat, I really would look at um, you know, possible running back, uh whether that's uh the kid out of Alabama, um, his name's uh, Gibbs. or uh, whether that's uh you know, Bijan Robinson, he'll be long gone by then. And also, you know, wide receiver. Like if um if in Jigbo if he's hovering around the 20 range, which I don't expect, but we don't know how this is going to play out, but if he's hovering around the 20 range, man, I'll go get him, man, and you have like a either you know number 1 or a high level 2 wide receiver to go on in the future because Michael Thomas, he's going to be gone after this year.
1: What about if the Tillman kid out of Tennessee is still there at 40?
7: I really like Cedric Tillman. I really like him. Like I like him so a lot. I. I like him more than Quentin Johnson. Um I think at twenty nine maybe a little too pricey. You know, I'm, I'm you know, I would probably wait around till at forty pick to see if he's there and I would grab him there. Um but he I really do like him as a player and if they did take him there I wouldn't hate it. I would probably look at the tight end position also. Uh Kincaid would probably be gone. I still like Michael Mayer. It seems like the draft community is kinda pegged him down a little bit uh, because he's not like a super, super high-level athlete, but he's still a really good athlete and one of those tight ends that could probably play for you for like 10 years. So I would love to take him at 29. Uh, Darnell Washington, um, probably another player that I'll probably wait till about the number 40 pick to uh, take. So, look, they're going to have options, man. But like I said, they will move up to get somebody. Just kind of see who –
1: if B. John Robinson falls to say twenty, Ooh. do you have Mickey Loomis trading up to go get a guy that many people believe is one of the three best players overall in this draft?
7: Yeah, that would be that would be too tempting for me to get he's such a good player. Like if you could just it depends on the cost. Like I wouldn't give up like a future Um, we don't have a second-round pick, a future-first second-round pick. And I definitely wouldn't touch a future first-round pick, obviously. Um, But if you could give up, you know, maybe two of your thirds this year to get up there, man, that's worth it. It's worth it to me to get a player like that that would solidify your running back position for the next five years. You know, you got to look at the cost of that. That's a cheap contract for the next five years for a player that would, you know, solidify a position and be not only solidified, but really, you know, give you great play at that position.
1: Yeah, and if he falls, that would be really, really interesting in in that regard because...
7: And, and it's possible. And, and, and it's possible
1: because I think if you really want B. John Robinson and if, if he drops, you're going to have to leapfrog the Dallas Cowboys because there's no Absolutely. way that Jerry Jones is going to pass up drafting Bijan if he falls to him at 26. It's just not going to happen.
7: You know it. You know it's not going to happen. No way. We're
1: talking with Ryan Hidden, better known as That Boy Wolf from the Saints Twitter Podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, so you mentioned tight end. I'm always wary of tight ends because I feel like it takes them longer to adjust to the NFL. They're a lot like wide receivers in that regard because learning the route tree is something that's always the biggest hurdle For guys making that adjustment. And I think you could probably get a good tight end, not to mention you already got one on the roster, a converted wide receiver into tight end. So I I just, I don't know. You you mentioned it, and there's some talented guys. I agree with you, but I don't know if I'd feel comfortable using a first round or even a second round pick on a tight end.
7: And that's fair. I mean, there's a ton of tight ends in this draft. You could. You could wait till the third round and probably get one. Um, It's about the style of tight end for me. Uh, Jawan Johnson, who they did sign the extension to, he's like a – he's your more typical uh, you know, stretch out tight end that can get downfield for you. I would like another tight end that could kinda of do it all, that could pass catch and be kind of in line old school blocker, help out in the run game. That way you can run some thirteen personnel packages and stuff like that. Twelve package twelve personnel packages and really just kinda of expand your offense. Uh and you- we know like uh Derek Carr he could he does really well with the tight end position. So I'm like, hey, let's get Let's get two. Well, we got one. Let's get two.
1: I don't mind that. Uh, yeah, if you can get great value, I would do it. Uh, but but only if you can get the the great value there and, and get you a guy. Right. You know, uh, we get so focused on you know things. We're like, well, they signed two D tackles, right? Or you yeah. know, they need a pass rusher. But I would not be surprised whatsoever if if they don't get one of the edge rushers, they get. A really good defensive tackle in the first two rounds. Like that wouldn't surprise me at all because the other two guys they brought in aren't necessarily proven veteran starters. So they may be looking at a guy that could be an anchor across that defensive line, right?
7: Absolutely, absolutely. I think you know that's probably the most likely outcome. Um, Like I said, I I know they like Cansey. He's a guy he's been kind of compared to. Aaron Donald because he's a little shorter. Um, but he's not, you know, from what I've seen he's not that he's not obviously not Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is like one of the greatest football players ever, but you know, he does give you that type of position, you know, where a, a smaller three technique that can shoot gaps and affect the pass rush. Um, like I said, uh Devil War, he you know, played more DN in college, but he's truly a three technique defensive tackle. Um you got Redman. Uh, These are guys that really meet their athletic profiles. You know, Gerard Clark. You know, some of these guys, they might not be first-round players, but they're second-round players. So they will address it. I think in the first first round or second round, defensive tackle will be addressed.
1: When I do my mocks, I'm old school because i'm all about line of scrimmage and for the most part mickey traditionally is that way as well right when you look at their draft history with mickey loomis they tend to draft four position groups more than anything else o-line d-line cornerback and wide receiver right so they took an o-lineman and a wide receiver last year in the first round but i would not be surprised if interior offensive linemen if they take a guard in the first two rounds would you
7: it wouldn't shock me at all. It wouldn't shock me if they addressed the offensive line at any position, probably outside of center. I mean, I could see them taking another tackle, which would shock people because they took Penning last year. But you got to understand, ramchek he has a knee issue that he's going to be really much be dealing with the rest of his career where he can't even practice on Wednesdays. Um, and he's getting older. And Penning is coming off his second foot issue, which, you know, So it's scaring some people that think it might be a chronic issue. So it wouldn't surprise me if they went offensive tackle or obviously offensive guard um, or somebody that could kind of switch and flip both positions like, uh, you know, Andrews Peake early in his career, who is another player that's coming off an injury. So, you know, they have a lot of offensive line questions that, you know, it might not be the sexiest picks. You know, in the first round, and I remember Ramchek wasn't the sexiest pick, but it paid off. You know what I'm saying? It paid off immediately too. So it, I, I never get mad at teams that invest in the trenches because that's where it all starts for me. The,
1: the, the big fellow, the former Louisiana Raging Cajun, Florida Gator, Osiris Torrance would look really good in black mm-hmm. and gold. Oh, he, I'm would just, look,
7: he would look great.
1: I'm just saying. All right, but let's wrap it up with this. Obviously, when we go through this mock draft process, we always have guys that we're really high on that if they're always there, we tend to pick them in our mock drafts over and over again. Who is that player or players for you?
7: Um, Like I said, I like Michael Mayer. I like, really like him a lot. Uh, JSN, speaking of Jigba, I just love the way he plays, and I just think he'd be – we just have like a big Ohio State, you know, wide receiver core, and I just think – just remaking that entire offense. Like, that would be a piece added to this offense that would kind of, like, just remake the entire offense for years to come and really create, like, just let Derek Call go out there and cook, man. Like, I know the defense probably needs some help right now. But, look, man, this is an offensive-driven league. The NFC is wide open. Let's go score some points. So, Jigma, that, that that's definitely a player. You know, a lot of defensive players don't really blow me away in this draft. There's a lot of solid players, but nobody that really – that I look at it and be like, wow, you get this guy, he's going to change your defense. You know, I just haven't seen that from a lot of these prospects. That's why I wouldn't force the hand if you know, just to address the need there. Whether just get a good player, get really good players that can come into your team and make your team better.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned Ohio State; they also like Tennessee players. So I just, I just, yeah. Well, I don't know. The closer we get, I boy, it sure does look like Tillman could be a guy for them. A big body wide receiver. I would love that. Wide would receiver. Love that, that. Who, and like who, I said, a
7: big body wide receiver, which is something I think they they need to address because they got a lot of smaller, shifty guys on the team now outside of Mike Thomas. But, you know, if they go get a guy like Cedric Tillman who can not only stretch the field but do the things in the intermediate area, box out people, man, I think that'll be huge.
1: Ryan, appreciate your time. As always, brother, keep up the tremendous work with the Saints Twitter podcast and try not to stress too much in between now and the draft, bud.
7: Oh, I won't, man. I'm ready. I'm, I'm just enjoying the time, man. This is the best time because everybody's going to the Super Bowl this time of the year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you, brother.
0: Take care. This is RP3 and company on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero, as his long highlights as a ball player were being beat twice in the head. Actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest, Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana sports station. Sports
1: station. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Jay Walker, the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns also want to thank Ryan Hin, that boy Wolf from the Saints Twitter podcast for joining us on today's show. We did have a poll question of the day for you. It's our foodie poll question of the week. That's what we do on Wednesdays. Do you eat breakfast for dinner? Edward on Facebook says, yeah, it's comfort food. Some other comments. Bradley says, anyone against breakfast for supper? No one. No one should be against it.
2: I would like to, producer note, um, Doke Walker played for SMU, not TCU. Just wanted to clean that up for uh, any of the listeners out there.
1: Thank you. Um, once again, dedicating time on the show to correct me, as it's become a tradition of ours, doing it every day. Um, can't wait to replace you with an intern. So, um, thank you. Thank you, Two Degrees.
2: Say. If you didn't make mistakes, there wouldn't be anything to clean up. <laughs>
1: Trust me. There's far more mistakes that go on here
2: that he doesn't oh, I, catch, and I make them too. And you know, <laughs> is. What is I
1: it? I knew it was at one of those Texas Christian schools, so I was close, right? TCU, SMU. Eh, they both have seminaries, um, and they both have been good in football, you know, from time to time.
2: Yeah, in various different segments of their history.
1: <laughs> not, no, not yes, not consistent. Final results, do you eat breakfast for dinner? 62% of you said yes, one of my favorites. 19% of you say maybe not a huge fan, like Dawson. Or 19% say no, breakfast equals morning. So thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. Bud, how do you feel? The show's
2: over. How do you feel? Yeah, great. I got another one to uh, get ready for, so that's exciting.
1: And are you showing our intern, Lauren, everything she needs to have a great idea of what it takes to succeed in this business.
2: I'm uh, doing my best, every minute.
1: All right, let's let's do better. Okay. let's do better. Let's make sure she gets the internship she deserves. Okay, bud. All right, there we go. Sometimes I got to cha- he challenges me. I got to challenge him. That's why this works. This is why RP3 and Company is a show on the air. <laughs> I didn't say a good show. I just said a show. That's going to do it for today's show. We'll be back on tomorrow 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.